All right, so how many of you have heard a recording of your own voice? Cool. Okay, great. Keep your hands up. How many of you liked what you heard? You were like, my voice is awesome. I want to hear more of it. More? No one? Yeah, I thought so. So last night, only one person raised his hand, and I, I thought he was just trying to make me feel better. <laughs> Everyone put their hand immediately down. I don't like the sound of my own voice either. It sounds differently in my head than it does when I hear, hear it on a recording. In seminary, they used to make us watch our own sermons and critique ourselves. And even the thought of watching the sermon is making me cringe because I don't like the sound of my own voice and I just can't stop my hands from moving. And sometimes in my head, I'm like, calm down, arms. Like, take a break. I'm Italian, which means I have to talk with my hands. One day, the students, they challenged me to give a whole lesson without the use of my arms. So I sat on them, and I think I made it like two and a half minutes. It was, there, nothing good was going to happen without my arms. <laughs> so I'm like, put your arms down. So when I'm watching myself and critiquing myself, I'm also cringing. I'm like, just put them down. It's okay. I just, I can't. I can't. So let me ask you another question. Have you ever thought about or... <laughs> had this experience where you're doing something else and suddenly your memory flashes and you relive a moment where you did something stupid or embarrassing years ago, years ago, not even like yesterday, like years ago, and it suddenly flashes in your mind and it comes back to hit you and you get embarrassed and you feel awkward all over again. Is it just a me thing? <laughs> okay, people are nodding. Cool, thank you. So when I was in middle school, I carpooled with a girl who lived up the street. My parents would drop us off her parents would pick us up. Her dad worked at a car dealership, which meant there were certain days he would come in a different car. But we didn't know what car he was going to bring. Sometimes my friend would give me a heads up. She would say, the car is going to be white. Cool. Today, the car is going to be white. That's all I have to go on. There's like a sea of white cars, but it's fine. <laughs> so one day, there was a new van parked in the spot where he usually parked. So after school, I headed out. I opened the back door of the van, slid it open, climbed in, sat down, put my backpack down, and slid the door shut. And then I looked at the driver. And the driver looked back at me. And the shock on her face was probably mirrored on my own because I didn't know her. I climbed in the wrong van. This was not my ride. So I picked up my backpack, slid the door open. I didn't say anything. I didn't say a word. I climbed out of the van, shut the door, and then like calmly walked back to school. It's not true. I like ran to the school and hid in the school, and I never told anyone. I just waited for my friend to appear, and I was just like, no. That memory comes back to haunt me today. We're all a little awkward, right? Like, we do awkward things. We have awkward experiences. So awkward began as this word that meant things were turned in the wrong direction. So things that are awkward are backwards. And now we use it to describe feelings or experiences we have that raise these emotions inside us. We blush, we get embarrassed. All of these cause awkward reactions inside us. We also might cringe. We feel our shoulders going up and we feel uncomfortable. And often we have the desire to run away, <laughs> to just flee the awkward situation. And we often do. But what if we sat in those awkward moments? What if we sat with those awkward and uncomfortable feelings? 
Well, Melissa Dahl, she asked that very same question. I love this picture of this baby. She spent a few years peeling back the layers of awkwardness. She's a writer and researcher, and she found that awkward moments, they act like a mirror. So every one of us exists in two versions. There's the version that we experience ourselves inside our heads. This is how we know ourselves. And then there's another version, which is what we project on the outside. It's what other people see and know about us. Awkward moments happen when these two versions clash together. And then it reveals this gap. There's a gap between the way we see ourselves and the way other people see us. And then when those two versions clash together, we get an awkward encounter. So I'm going to give you an illustration of this. The TV show The Office illustrates this very clearly in the character of Michael Scott. Michael Scott is the regional manager of a paper distribution company. He thinks he's hilarious. He thinks he's the best boss. He has a ton of friends. And he'll go to tell a joke, and it doesn't land well. And then there's awkward silence. And everyone just sits there, because they don't laugh. It's not a funny joke. The way that he sees himself and the way that others see him are clashing together, and it gets awkward. And everyone just pauses. So we all have this awkward gap. And for a lot of us, we can ignore it until something happens that shows us that gap is there. So maybe you trip, and you realize you're not as graceful as you thought you were. I have tripped on these stairs on my way up to preach multiple times. There's, a, there's only three. Like, there's only three steps. I am not a graceful person, so I will never claim that. But maybe you think you are more clever than you are, or maybe you're more graceful than you are, or maybe you're more attractive than you are, and there are things that come together in our life to show us this awkward gap. But what about when that awkward gap reveals something about us as Christians? So when I travel, here's how I travel, I like to travel with my headphones on, <laughs> music on, and a book out. I'm basically totally antisocial. You can judge me for that, but that's how I travel. Don't want to talk to people, I just want to go. So when I travel, I like to take the flyaway bus from Van Nuys to LAX. One day I had a seatmate, and he noticed the book I was reading, and I was traveling back to seminary, and I was reading like this super Jesus-y book. I don't even know what it was. <laughs> But like the cover must have just said, she's a Christian, like right here. It was like a neon sign. It was like, she is a Christian. So he asked me a question about it. He said, are you one of those Christians? Right, and then he paused. And it got awkward, because I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I love Jesus, yes. But then outwardly, I was like, uh, I mean, I like fumbled. What do you say? Am I one of those Christians who... Blank, right, who hates other people, who judges others, who shames people. Like, I'm sure you could fill in the blank yourself. So when we send missionaries out from Stonebridge, we do a lot of prep work before they even leave the country. And one part of that training is to train our missionaries to have awkward experiences, to get to know the culture that they're going to. Anytime you go on a cross-cultural experience, you are going to have <laughs> misunderstandings you are going to have misunderstandings about culture, 
maybe about gender, about experiences, and you expect that to happen. And so they train you to just live into that awkwardness, get comfortable with it. But what about when we have awkward encounters in our everyday life? You don't have to go on a mission trip to have an awkward experience or an awkward encounter. Awkward moments are around every corner. So I wasn't sure how the man sitting next to me on the bus was going to define Christianity. He could have been describing any type of Christian. And I'm the one, this is on me, who assumed it was going to be negative. Like, he could have meant, are you one of those Christians who loves others, who serves others, who cares about people in your community? He didn't. That wasn't what he meant. We got into it. We don't always have the best PR as Christians. It felt awkward because this man was holding up a mirror to show me how my faith might be perceived by someone who came from a different background. And I didn't like what I saw. And it felt awkward and uncomfortable. And I wanted to leave, but I couldn't. So we're stuck on a bus. So I took out my headphones, and we talked about faith. For the rest of the bus ride, we talked about Christianity. And it was uncomfortable, and I didn't have all the perfect answers, but I was willing to be present and talk to him. And in the end, I'm really grateful for that, because we had a great conversation. Awkward encounters are an opportunity for us to grow. They're an opportunity for growth in our life. The kicker, though, is that we can't grow unless we know that there is this awkward gap. If we ignore it, then we can't grow through it. So let's get uncomfortable. So Jesus had a lot of awkward encounters with people. He said things and he did things that made people kind of scratch their heads and wonder about him. And on one trip to Jerusalem, Jesus headed to the temple courts and he began to teach people. And that was pretty normal. He drew crowds to him because people wanted to hear what he had to say. So there were people in the crowds. Some people were for him. Some people were really confused. And others were just outright against him. And one group that was outright against him was a group of people called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were religious leaders. They were a different group. And they didn't like the things that Jesus taught. Their faith was stricter than the things that Jesus said. So a lot of the times, they would engage him in debate. Well, during this one instance, they decided to up their game. They drastically took it to a, another level. They brought in a live example. Instead of hypothetically talking about something that had to do with faith, they dragged in a live, on-the-spot person. This is where it gets awkward. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. I feel like cringing just reading this, right? Because if I dragged someone up here and started to point out their sin, you all would cringe with me too, right? That would get awkward. So they put this woman in front of the crowd, and interrupted Jesus. And their words are very careful. They caught her in the act of adultery, which probably means they dragged her from a bedroom, maybe without the courtesy of covering up, 
They've held her overnight, and they have placed her in front of this crowd in broad daylight. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They don't actually need his opinion. <laughs> the law of Moses is very clear on this point. What they want is they want Jesus to publicly fumble in this really awkward encounter. They're referring to the law that's recorded in the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And it says this, if a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the man and the woman who have committed adultery must be put to death. The law applied to both the man and the woman. Now, there's no comment on where the man is. Has he been arrested? So there's something going on that could be a trap. Was this woman set up? Was she put in this position so that they would have an illustration? This is not a fair trial. It's not even a trial. This is a bloodbath. They're asking for her death. She didn't commit adultery alone, yet she alone is going to bear the shame of this act. We have a lot of physical, <laughs> um, physical reactions when we embarrass ourselves. We get flustered, we blush, we start sweating. We wish the earth would open up and just swallow us whole, like I do. <laughs> like, the earth could just open, I would just drop down and hide. It would be totally great. So in 2007, there's a woman by the name of Caitlin Upton. She's from South Carolina, and she was in the Miss Teen USA pageant. Maybe some of you remember this. She fumbled her answer to a really important question. So I want you to watch this. Did you feel like it awkward? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How many of you have been there before, though? Like, you're in front of people, and your mind just goes blank. Now, maybe it happened during a job interview, and someone asked you a question, and you're like, yeah, I should nail this. Mine goes blank. Or maybe you did it in the middle of a presentation at work. Somebody shared with me last night that she's a nurse, and someone asked her a question about medication that she should know, and she does know. Her mind just immediately went blank. She couldn't recall it, couldn't spell it, nothing. Nothing came out, and she just stood there and she was like, I don't know. I'll go check on that. <laughs> she was like, I left the room. I left because I just wanted the earth to swallow me whole. Yeah. Here's another thing. Maybe your child has asked you a question that you don't know how to answer. You don't know. But you answered that way. And then your kid was little enough that they like ran away and were like, okay. And you're like, I don't know what I just said. I don't know. You didn't say anything that made sense. You know it. It has happened to me on this stage. I know exactly what I want to say. And then my mind just blanked got nothing. And you're like, okay, cool. That was fun. Yeah. When we see something like this, we experience secondhand embarrassment. I don't know this woman, and yet I am rooting so hard for her to nail it. I've watched this clip like 14 times, and I'm just like, every time, I'm like, come on, land the plane, nail it. And she doesn't. I want her to, but she doesn't. Because underneath the surface, I'm putting myself in her shoes. I can see myself in her situation, and I'm sure you can too. So scientists have done some brain scans on people who witness awkward or cringy moments from other people. Part of their brain lit up, and the part of their brain that lit up is the same part that is integral in processing pain. Now, the people in the scan, they weren't in physical pain, yet the images that they were shown were interpreted by their brain as physical pain. 
And so when we witness someone else's awkward or cringy moment, our body and our brain automatically turns their social pain into physical pain. And your brain will light up. And feeling pain on behalf of someone else is also called empathy. Awkward encounters are an opportunity to exercise empathy. Here's the tricky part, though. Just because we witness someone else's awkward moment and we feel empathetic, that doesn't mean that we are then going to care for the person. Because there are two kinds of empathy. The first kind is cognitive empathy. In cognitive empathy, you can see how someone's awkward moment causes them pain. And you zero in on that, and you understand maybe what they're feeling, but you don't internalize it. You don't feel it yourself. Bullies and internet trolls, they score really high in the category of cognitive empathy because they can identify the feelings, they can see it, and then they use it to cause more pain. So when Caitlin went home, people had filled her mailbox with letters, letters that told her she should die because she was so stupid. People who wrote those letters were exercising cognitive empathy. They knew how to make the pain worse. At one point, she actually contemplated suicide because she went home and she lost friends. People threatened her parents and said that her parents raised a stupid daughter. Cognitive empathy. Understanding the emotions, but not feeling them. A lot of us could have been Caitlin. We've been in that situation. Our minds have gone blank. It's happened to all of us. The only difference between Caitlin and us is that her mistake was recorded. Ours are not, most of the time. The second type of empathy is affective or compassionate empathy. And in this type, you take on the feelings and emotions of the other person. You really get in and you put yourself in their shoes. Their cringeworthy moment becomes your cringeworthy moment. And their experience really affects you. This is how we normally talk about empathy. Awkward encounters are an opportunity to exercise empathy only if that is how you choose to respond. Your brain naturally has an empathetic response. However, you get to decide which type of empathy you're going to show. One type draws people in, and the other type pushes people away. So the woman in today's text is unnamed. But to the Pharisees, she becomes the face of sin. And their contempt for her actions makes it clear that they would rather distance themselves from her sin. They put her sin on an elevated platform, and they say, we are not like her. She is beneath us. So let's continue in John. They were trying to trap Jesus into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. So Jesus had a reputation. He had a reputation for being someone who was a friend of sinners, 
He showed mercy and he offered forgiveness to people that others would have rather not had forgiveness given to them. He healed people. He talked with people. He lived in a way that demonstrated compassionate empathy. So if he sides with the woman, then he's actually rejecting Jewish law. And if he's rejecting Jewish law, that means that his teaching and the authority that he uses to teach with, it means he has no authority. People will stop listening to him. If he disregards the woman's sin, he's also going to look soft on sin. And yet, if he agreed with the religious leaders, it's going to ruin his reputation as someone who loves others and shows mercy. There's also another trap that Jesus could fall into. At this time, Judea was a Roman-controlled province, which meant, which meant that Roman law was above Jewish law. And according to Roman law, you couldn't be put to death for adultery. So if Jesus chose to uphold Jewish law and he publicly went against the Roman law, he would be going against the law of the empire, which is a very dangerous road to take. So what did he do? Drew in the sand twice. This is one of the greatest mysteries in the Bible. We don't know what he drew in the sand. We don't know what he wrote. We don't know what happened. It doesn't stop people from making guesses, for sure. And this is one of the questions that I'm going to ask God about. Because my first one is, uh, why are there mosquitoes? What purpose do they serve? There's no purpose. There's no biological purpose. You can try and tell me there's one. There's no purpose. So second question, what did Jesus write in the sand? And I figure if God wanted us to know, uh, we would know. But we don't because it's not important. What is important is the effect that his doodling in the sand caused on the crowd. They have dragged this woman out. They are out for blood. They want her death. And yet, instead of combating their contempt with words, Jesus chooses silence. An awkward silence. Writing in the dust has actually taken the spotlight off of the woman and put it on him. They then focus all of their attention on Jesus. They still demand an answer, so Jesus takes the spotlight and he puts it on them. He holds up that mirror that we talked about earlier that shows the gap between the way they see themselves and the way that others see them. And they don't like what they see. It's not a good look. If you're innocent, go ahead and throw the first stone. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus has put the religious leaders on the same level as the woman. And they would love nothing more than for that to be distanced. They don't want to be like this woman. But if they're on the same level, that means they can also receive grace and forgiveness. They can be offered the chance to repent just like this woman. 
And repent means to turn around, to take a U-turn. And it's not too late for the religious leaders. And so Jesus gently reminds them that they don't have to have blood on their hands. And he stoops down and he writes in the dust a second time. Instead of staring them down, instead of staring them in the face or pointing out their sins, he doesn't have to do that. They know them. Which is why, one by one, they they begin to leave. Last week, Pastor Neil talked about humility. And he talked about the little children who tried to come see Jesus. And the disciples, they tried to keep the children away from Jesus. And Jesus corrected the disciples. And he said, you can only enter the kingdom of God if you have the humility of children. Awkward encounters are an opportunity to be humble. We don't always get it right. Being humble means that you have a correct opinion of yourself. It means to know your place. And knowing your place means you don't pretend to be more than you are or less than you are. It means you're real about who you are. And Paul was someone who really understood the dangers of thinking too much of yourself. Paul was also a Pharisee. He wasn't there that day when this woman was put in front of the crowd, but he had enough blood on his hands. And as he was on his way to arrest believers, Jesus offered him a U-turn, and he took it. And then he proceeded to set up churches and to remind people that God offers us a U-turn. And for him, the opposite of humility is pride. And for pride, for Paul, pride led to all kinds of troubles, and it occurs in his letters. And so in his letter to the church in Rome, he warned against thinking too much of ourselves. And so he cautioned them with this. Because of the privilege and authority that God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by the faith God has given us. Paul is all about moderation. Yes, you should have a good opinion of yourself. Yes, you should have a healthy opinion, but it also needs to be realistic. Don't think you are more than you are. Paul is using this word think. It has to do with our thoughts, which are then translated into actions. Humility is the gate that keeps our pride in check. Awkward encounters show us that we don't always get it right. We mess up, and it gets awkward. Jesus redeemed this woman's worst day. That morning, she was headed to her death, and she left a free woman. But it's important to note that that doesn't mean Jesus is giving her license to do anything or to live however she wants. He is offering her a new life, a second chance, And that means leaving her old life behind. So Jesus doesn't minimize or cover up her sin. Adultery is serious. It's listed in the Ten Commandments because adultery harms relationships. It destroys communities. It destroys families, and it leaves a deep wound. And so Jesus is taking her sin seriously. He's taking it so seriously that he is dying for this woman to be saved to have a new life to have a renewed life. He didn't die so that she could return to the same life. 
There's one more really awkward part of this story. The crowd never leaves. The Pharisees and religious leaders, they leave. And yet the crowd is standing there witnessing this awkward encounter. They have stayed through the whole thing. And I'm willing to guess that a lot of them went home changed. They witnessed firsthand Jesus' compassion and empathy for this woman and his compassion and grace towards the religious leaders. Jesus has responded to both parties. Even though it's a truly awkward moment, they're witnessing firsthand the love of God. Wouldn't it be awesome if our witness to others turned people towards God's love, offered them a renewed and changed life? That is how our witness should be received. Awkward moments are going to happen. Let them be an opportunity for you to grow, to be empathetic, and to be humbled.